Jeannie. Thank you, everybody that got the meeting going for us. Appreciate you guys keeping the doors open. Um, thank, thank you, AA. You know, I, I Adam, Adam with 29 days sober last week sent me a text message. I, actually, he, I think he might have called me. He called me and said, "Hey, I got 29 days sober, and my sponsor gave me this list of numbers to call, and you're the first one I'm calling, and I'm nervous as heck, and 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 I don't know what I'm doing, and and." blah, blah, blah. And I just said, buddy, it's all right. What do you need? You know? And, uh, I think it's awesome that he has a sponsor that's giving him some direction and making him reach out to people. And I told him absolutely for sure, no problem. And then I realized that I had a commitment at a treatment facility tonight that I had to get another home group member to cover for, but I'm here and it's good. And I think it's awesome that, that Adam's sponsor hasn't hooked up. Well, Adam had 29 days last Wednesday. That means he's celebrating 37 days. I texted him a little while ago and said, where are you? And he said, I can't figure out how to turn my camera on. So he's here somewhere. Um, so thank you so much, Adam, for, for asking me to come. Thank you to the Grace Group for having me. Um, I was super excited when when he sent me the, the little um, flyer that you guys have, because I, I love this reading on page 29. And, and I'm going to read the paragraph before and the paragraph that, that is on the reading. But the paragraph before says, Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. They are followed by 40, 42 personal stories or personal experiences. And this is, this is what I think our charge is when we're speaking in an AA meeting. Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what actually happened in our lives. And I think that that's my responsibility. I've heard people, especially early on when I was in AA, people would say, oh, don't talk about God. You're going to scare away the newcomer. And, and, and I honestly believe to my toes that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, there is no God part. That the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in its entirety is about building a relationship with a power greater than yourself that can relieve you from this bondage yourself and solve all your problems. And I believe that because that's my experience. And, and I know that one of the guys that I sponsors on this meeting, and when he got here, he was like me. He wanted nothing to do with any idea of God at all. That's how I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was raised in this religion and, and what things that I saw in that religion and things that I saw in the world I did not believe that there was any kind of God at all, and I didn't want anything to do with it. But my first sponsor told me, when I told him I don't want to hear anything about the God stuff, he told me, well, then perhaps Alcoholics Anonymous isn't for you, and maybe you got to try something else. And I was kind of like, whoa, like that's kind of rude. But that's the truth, folks. So if you're new or nearly new, or been around a long time, and haven't cracked open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous with a recovered member, I invite you to do that, please. So my name is Matthew Hydock. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My home group is the Soul Purpose Group. We meet on Zoom on Sunday evenings at 7.30 p.m. My friend Tim is going to put that information in the chat so everybody has that. We also meet live if you're ever in Buffalo, New York. We meet live um, on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. at a church at 45 Dalton Street. I have a sponsor. And more importantly than having a sponsor, my sponsor knows that he's my sponsor and we have regular communication. There, you know, I've had people that 
I'll, I'll go somewhere and someone, oh, I heard so-and-so that you're their sponsor. They asked me three years ago, but I haven't heard from them since. So I don't, I don't know. I, I guess so. So my sponsor knows that he sponsors me and my sponsor has a, a, a seeing eyeglass into my life. And when I asked my sponsor to sponsor me, he had said to me, I have some requirements. One, I want your phone number of your wife and your best friend in Alcoholics Anonymous so that if I ever think you're full of crap, I can call them and find out if you're full of crap. Two, you need to be somewhere once a week where you don't want to end up, whether it's an, a, a jail, a, a treatment center, a detox, you have to be somewhere once a week where you don't want to end up. And three, you always have to have a new guy and not just a sponsee, but a new guy. You always have to be processing through the steps with a new guy. And if you don't have a new guy, you get out your tackle box and you go fishing and you go to a middle of the road meeting and you carry the message Alcoholics Anonymous, you offer hope to somebody and you try to get a new guy. And those are the requirements for sponsorship with him. I do another inventory, I send it to him, um, but but my sponsor knows that, that I'm a sponsor. And then even more important than that, I sponsor men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I say, and women, I don't currently sponsor any women, but I'm not closed off to the idea of that simply because I, I remember asking my first sponsor, can I, this woman asked me to sponsor her, can I sponsor her? He goes, are you spiritually fit? I said, yes. He goes, then sponsor her. She asked you to sponsor her. She asked to help her, help her. He says, nowhere in my book does it say men with men, women with women. Now, are there people in Alcoholics Anonymous that may be predators? I, I guess so, but I hope that as a woman or as a man, ask somebody of the opposite sex because you enjoy the message coming from them. Um, you have that courage and they have the courage to say yes and know that they're spiritually fit. To do that. Um, so I'm going to tell a little bit about what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time in a drunk log. Um, you know, I, I got sober. My, my sobriety date is January 24th of 2013. I've, I've just passed over the 10 year mark um, in January. Um, I, I tr came to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting when I was like 19 years old and I'm 50 guys. So if I only have 10 years, that means that, that from 19 to 49 or 19 to 39, some, something went wrong. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you what the first meeting was. The first meeting I went to, I went to a meeting and my father was celebrating, um, his one year anniversary. So he was the speaker at this meeting and I didn't even know that, but I show up at this meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, uh, Glenn was a speaker and, and I still had a lot of resentment towards Glenn and I was drinking pretty heavily at the time. And I walked away from that meeting. If you guys knew what an a-hole he was, you how would you be applauding for this guy? This guy's full of crap, blah, 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 blah. You know, um, and I, I didn't darken the doors again at Alcoholics Anonymous probably until I was like 23 years old. And I came in at 23 years old. And at the time I had done really well for my, myself. I, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 15 years old ended up getting kicked out of high school, working in the pizza business. By the time I was 23, I owned three pizzerias in Buffalo, New York, and I was doing really well in life. And I, and I realized that drinking is becoming a problem. So I show up in an AA meeting at, at 23 years old and I go to this meeting and there's, you know, this old timer there. And he's like, you have to make 90 meetings in 90 days. And, and I'm like, buddy, listen, I own three pizzerias. I work hundred hours a week. I was lucky to peel myself away for the hour that I'm here right now. Well, if you don't make it, if you don't go make 90 meetings, you're not going to make it. This guy's crusty. He's old. He must know what he's talking about. 
So, so I can't make 90 meetings in 90 days. So why am I going to waste my time sticking around here for this meeting? And I left, right? And, and how do we tell that to a, a woman that, that is a single mom that has two kids at home and is working two jobs? Again, folks, if you're telling people that, it, it's, it's not in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Therefore, it's not in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's just something that someone heard somewhere along the way that they thought was cute and they figured they would tell people that. But, but my, my experience was, was not that. As a matter of fact, when I was about 28 years old, I came to AA again. And, and that same old coot was at a meeting. I'm trying not to swear, so I'm just calling him an old coot. That same old coot was at a meeting, and he told me I had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try this. And I made 89 meetings in 89 days. Mostly open discussion meetings. There was nobody there big book thumping, nobody there talking about the 12 stops, mostly open discussion meetings. And I made those 89 meetings. And on day 90, I'm supposed to get my 90-day coin. On night 89, I'm like, okay, tomorrow I get my 90-day coin. Abbott or, or uh, Hearst men's meeting, there's like 150 guys there. For an egomaniac like me, that's a huge event. That's something I got to be at. That's something I got to get, right? But on night 89, I got really thirsty. Because I was restless, irritable, and discontented. And nobody picked up a big book and showed me the program of action that's contained in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody said, hey, buddy, let's get you into these steps. Let's get you recovered so you don't obsess about drinking again. Nobody, not a single person. 89 days. And on night 89, and Dr. Silkworth talks about it in the doctor's opinion, he said, men and women drink essentially for the effect produced by alcohol. And I think a lot of people, when they read that or hear that, they think that's the effect produced is drunkenness, right? right? Like I drink to get drunk. That, that's not what he's talking about, folks. The, the effect for me is this. I take the bottle or whatever, I take a huge pull on it, and the effect is this. And Dr. Silkworth goes on to say, a sense of ease and comfort. They drink for the sense of ease and comfort. Because without alcohol on board, 89 days in, I wake up in the morning and the woman that, that I'm dating at the time is at the kitchen table and she's chewing a bowl of cereal and she sounds like, like a cow. And the kids are in the living room playing PlayStation and they just won't shut the hell up because I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontented. I can't deal with life on life's terms. I just can't do life. And in my mind, it always tells me sense of ease and comfort, drink. I take a couple shots of vodka. I get the, I can look over at that beautiful princess sitting at the table eating the lucky charms and she's just glowing with joy. And I can listen to the kids arguing in the living room with vodka on board. And I hear kids just having fun, right? But without alcohol and without the program of action of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm restless, irritable, discontented, and I have to drink. Our big book on page 24 talks about that we won't be able to remember the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago that we're without defense against the first drink. So if I'm telling somebody, oh, honey, don't worry about the steps. You didn't get sick overnight. You're not going to get well overnight. Just go to 90 meetings in 90 days and we'll see what happens. Look around and find somebody you can relate with and ask them to sponsor you. Don't, you know, don't rush into that. Those big book thumpers over there, they're a little crazy. You don't have to do that stuff. Just get to a bunch of meetings. 
if I say that to them, I'm signing their death warrant. Because if to drink is to die, and our book is telling us, not just our book, but the people that put this program together, that within a week or a month, I'm drinking again, that I'm without defense against the first drink, then am I setting them up for failure by telling them that stuff? I truly believe so. So I make those 89 meetings, I drink on night 89, and I don't come back to Alcoholics Anonymous for probably another five years. And then I, I came in and someone said, you should get a sponsor. So I asked this guy to sponsor me. And the guy that sponsored me, he was a guy, he did voiceovers for, for Audible books. And he sat down with the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and he read it line by line to me and just read it. And it was amazing because this guy, I mean, obviously if he does audible books, his voice has to be pretty cool, right? So I'm sitting in the chair in his living room, listening to him read it, but he didn't want to stop and say, this means this and ask me, did you experience this? And do you understand that? And maybe we should look up with this word and nothing. He read to me line by line, the book. And I drank probably three chapters in because we didn't we didn't do anything. He just read the book to me. So I'm going to fast forward to the, the end of my drinking. I, I, I had stopped in AA here and there, you know, um, and, and those pizzerias that I owned, you know, New York State sales tax has this thing where when you collect the sales tax, they want you to turn that over to them. And I missed that when I was, I like missed that part of business school um, that you're supposed to pay this tax money that you collect. And uh, they're, they get pretty serious about that, I guess. And, and they, they showed up at, at the door of my pizzeria with a big orange sticker that said, this property is seized by the New York State Sales Tax Department. Um, I mean, it, it could be because of my drinking and, and trips to Las Vegas and other non-conference approved dry goods that I was using at the time that, that cost me all that money that, that I didn't have the money to pay them. Um, and I was living this large lifestyle that I really couldn't afford unless I stole the money from New York State to do it, you know. Um, but they closed me down. And, and I. Uh, that was my identity. And, and, and my drinking was pretty great proportion in that time. But but when that happened, I became like a, a, a full one point seven five bottle of vodka a day drinker. And, and I got a job with a buddy of mine owned another pizza chain in Buffalo. And, and he gave me a job as a manager at one of his stores. And I became his general manager. And, and you know, it was a Friday night and, and I was working at one of his places down in Angola. It's a place on the beach. And, and it was Friday night and it was busy and it was hot. And I thought, man, we just got through the dinner rush. I should go back to the bar and, and just have a couple of drinks. Right. And I go back to the bar right after the dinner rush and I'm sitting at the bar and I'm about four doubles in and the owner walks in. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm on break. It's like, you can't be drinking on the job. I'm like, I'm not on the job. I'm on break. Like it made sense in my head. Right. And he fired me and, and I got a job with another pizza chain and, and worked my way right up to the general manager at that pizza chain. I got fired as a direct result of my drinking and, and he got a third pizza chain and got fired again and for, for drinking. And, you know, I got this job, last job before I got sober. I got this job working for this guy that I knew from 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 casinos and, and gambling. Um, and he owned these coffee trucks. Like he had these 12 coffee trucks. The little hot girl hops out the job site, sells the cheeseburgers and sandwiches and omelets or whatever we made. And, and, and 
Um, I was the overnight cook and I would go into 11 to seven and, and work all night cooking the food. So the girls would show up at seven in the morning and I'd load their trucks. And our deal when I got the job was no drinking on the job. And I said, no problem. I promise. And guys, when I made that promise, I wasn't lying. On page 44 in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, I think it's the best place to talk about step one. It says, if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, right? When I promised Brian I was done drinking, I meant it. I was done drinking. I'm not, I won't drink no more, Brian. And I'm sorry, a chat popped up. It threw me off. Um, I won't drink anymore, Brian. And I meant it. Like I wasn't lying. Hook me up to a lie detector test. I'm passing because I truly believed I could pull it off because I knew that I burned through a lot of bridges and didn't have another shot at the job. And I was going to make decent money at this job. And, you know, about two weeks in, I thought, well, well, I think he means I can't drink vodka. Right. So I could probably stop and get Mike's hard lemonade and drink Mike's hard lemonade. And just a couple of tall boys will do it. And then a week into that, you know, a six pack of tall boys. And then like, well, if I pour the Mike's hard lemonade into a thermos and add vodka to it, Brian will never know that I'm drinking alcohol at all. It'll just look like lemonade, right? And, and I'll be okay. And, and this wasn't my plan. When I told him I wouldn't drink, I meant I wouldn't drink. One night, his, one morning, his father came in and I didn't do something or I did something wrong. I don't know what it was. His father starts screaming at me and I grab his father by the throat. His father tells me I'm fired. I end up going home and my buddy Brian shows up in my house and he's like, dude, what's the matter with you? I'm like, what do you mean? Your dad got stupid with me. He's like, you can't put hands on my father. You were drunk. You told me you wouldn't drink anymore. And he said, here's three weeks of your pay. I want you to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get sober. You can get sober. Apologize to my father. I'll work the next three weeks because I love having you there. You're a great cook. I'll work the next three weeks. You go get sober. Apologize to my father. You can have your job. You can have your job. No harm, no foul. Okay, Brian, I'm going to go to AA. Well, Brian left and I was already halfway into a bottle of vodka, so I got to finish it. So I'll go to AA tomorrow, right? And I drink most of the vodka and I wake up the next morning and there's like that much vodka left. And, you know, today's AA day. I'm going to AA, right? But there's that much vodka left. So I can't, I mean, you can't go to AA with vodka left in your house. It's just not right. So I finished that off, right? And that second part of the page 42, it says, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. That's what this story is about. I drink that little bit of the bottom of the bottle of vodka. And I trigger this thing inside of me that once I put alcohol in my body, my body processes alcohol differently and I have to drink it all. I don't have an off button. Dr. Silkworth calls it an allergy, an allergic reaction, or he calls it a phenomenon of craving. My liver and pancreas are different. They process alcohol differently. And my allergic reaction is when I put alcohol in my body, my body demands that I have more, period. Doesn't matter if I want to have five, I'm drinking it all. So my plan was just to drink that much vodka. I drink that much vodka and I get real thirsty. So I head back to outlet liquor and get another bottle of vodka because I'm already drinking. So I can't go to AA because I'm already drinking. So I might as well go get another bottle and, and I'll go to AA tomorrow. And tomorrow I wake up, more vodka left in the bottle. You, you know, 
I, I, I probably even had vodka and Kool-Aid in the glass next to me and I stick my finger in it and stir it up and start with that and then look over and see the, the bottle of vodka and I start out again. I'm just going to drink this and go to A&A. Trigger the phenomenon of craving and I'm back at the liquor store again. Day three, same thing happens. But on day three, Brian shows up at my house and I'm halfway into that bottle that I just went and got. And Brian's like, dude, what's the matter with you? You told me you were going to AA. You couldn't even stay sober three days. I said, Brian, I didn't even stay sober three hours. I'm done. I apologize. Can't have you working for me anymore. This is, this is like November of 2012. Thanksgiving's my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite holiday. I love it because I love cooking. And, and I don't even know if it's the cooking that I love, but I love looking around the table and seeing people enjoy my creation. Just that, that fills me up more than anything else on any other holiday. I just, I love like creating something with these hands and people enjoying it. And I start doing kind of an inventory of my life. What a freaking loser I am that I had these three pizzerias and I had 80 employees at one point and all of them lost their jobs as a result of my drinking. And I have these three children that don't speak to me. And I have two ex-wives and an ex-girlfriend that absolutely disdain my existence. And I have this 86-year-old grandmother, old Polak lady, old Polish lady. I'm, po I'm Polish. So if I said Polak and that offended anybody, I don't mean to. I, I just, old Polish lady, never heard a fly, grew up through the depression, right? Just a sweet old lady. She doesn't talk to me anymore. And I really start inventorying my life in this way, thinking about what a freaking loser I am, what a piece of crap I am. And I, and I start to think about, gee, if one Benadryl puts me out, like, because I used to take a Benadryl to pass out, right? If one Benadryl puts me out, what will five do or what will 10 do, you know? And I start doing this little experiment with vodka and Benadryl to see if maybe I don't wake up tomorrow. And day by day, I would add more Benadryl to the mix. And Tim, who's on here, he's a nurse. He told me at one time, you can't kill yourself with Benadryl. But at the time, I didn't know that. And, and on December 10th of 2012, I just, you know, I'm looking around the house and a house that had kids and a wife in it and, and activity and life in it is now in foreclosure. All the motorcycles and ATVs and boats and, and, and my RV, all the stuff has been gone and sold. I'm, I'm on this couch that, that I'm basically sleeping, watching TV, and using the bathroom on. And I don't mean to sound disgusting, but that's, that's the reality of what my life was. And, and I just, you know, on page, I think it's 152 in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about you won't be able to imagine life without alcohol. And then it goes on to say, and, and I'm paraphrasing. So if I have it wrong, John, you can correct me. Um, it goes on to say, I won't be able to imagine life with or without alcohol. And I'll wish for the end. I'll know loneliness as few do. And guys, when my sponsor read that to me the first time, that describes December 10th of 2012 perfectly for me. And I I just didn't want to disappoint my children anymore. I didn't want to hurt another woman. I didn't want to live with the idea that the, the people that worked for me at the pizzeria the day I got closed 
all of them lost their job in an instant as a result of my drinking. And I took that bottle of Benadryl and, 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 and I swallowed, down, swallowed it down with a bottle of vodka. And I was sure that I wasn't waking up tomorrow. And I don't know how long I slept for. It could have been, I could have the dates wrong. I could have taken those on the 8th and slept for three days. I really don't know, right? It's that, that fog of the last drink, right? And I woke up and I was just angry that I was alive. And I looked over and there was that much vodka left. And then I didn't know what it was, but I couldn't reach over to the bottle of vodka and pick it up. I just couldn't pick it up. I truly believe today that God interceded in my life and I didn't even allow, I didn't even ask him to or want him. But I kind of had this feeling like, Matthew, you have to do something different today. And I called the shrink that I used to go see. I'm sorry, I'm checking the time. I called the shrink that I used to go see and, and, and uh, I just said, hey, or not shrink, psychologist. I said, hey, Lou, I, this is what's going on. I don't have any money. He, I, I used to go see him when I owned the pizzerias um, and, and he was expensive. And I'm like, I don't have any money, but this is what's going on. He's like, I had a cancellation. Come down to my office. I'm like, I don't have any money. He said, I don't care. Just come down to my office. And I go down to his office and I sit and talk and tell him about what happened. He said, Matt, you're a drunk and you need Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, I've tried Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't work. He said, I don't know what else to tell you. We talked about you being molested when you were 13 years old. We talked about your divorces. We talked about the abuse you suffered at the hand of your parents. We talked about all that stuff. And I'm telling you, you're a drunk and you need AA. And I remember leaving his office and I was probably my first resentment sober, right? This guy won't help me because I don't have any money. So now he's telling me to go to these freaking losers at AA because I don't have any money. So he won't give me the real answer. And I remember going down to my car and, and you know, when I owned those pizzerias, when I was making that money, I had a, a Lincoln Town car, a Camaro, a Jaguar, a Ford Excursion, all at the same time and two motorcycles. And here I am getting into a 1998 Grand Am and the bumpers held on by sheet metal screws there's a hole in the passenger side of the floor and the heat doesn't work. And maybe in Mississippi, that that's not a big deal. But you can ask Ryan in Buffalo and Rochester. That's a big friggin' deal in the middle of winter in December. No a hole in the floor, no heat. I literally had blankets in the car and I had a little uh, cigarette lighter plug-in heater that would plug into the cigarette lighter so I could have a little bit of heat. In the car. And I just put my head on the steering wheel and I cried like I just wept. Because I know AA doesn't work and this guy won't help me. And I'm a loser and I'm in this car that only a loser would drive. This is all in my head, guys. If you have a 1998 Grand Am with a hole in the floor and no heat, you're not a loser. I'm just, this is in my head, okay? I don't want to upset anybody. So I call a guy that I knew was an AA and he told me to, to go to this noon meeting. And I go to this noon meeting and and I sit through all the stuff we read before the meetings. And I, I honestly think for the newcomer, it sounds like Charlie Brown's mom, wah, 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 wah. Like, dude, does anybody really listen to it? I don't know. You know what I mean? The old timers can say it by heart because they've heard it so many thousands of times. And the newcomers, they're so friggin' shot. They don't understand what the hell we're talking about. But anyway, I sit through all that and they tell me the beginner's room's upstairs. So I go up to the beginner's room because I'm a beginner, right? 
and I sit down and the woman chair in the meeting says, okay, who's got the problem? And I'm telling you guys, I'm at this point, I'm shaking. I can't keep coffee in the cup. I'm detoxing in this AA meeting. It's probably been, I don't know, 30 hours since I've had a drink, maybe for the first time in three years. And I'm detoxing in this meeting and I'm ready to raise my hand and talk about what's going on. But there was this little old lady, and I don't remember her name, but we're going to call her Sally Sue. And Sally Sue had this cat and this cat wouldn't use the litter box. The cat peed on the carpet and the cat peed on the couch and the cat peed on the kitchen floor, but the cat wouldn't use the litter box. And Sally Sue was so frustrated. So we went around the room and we had a PetSmart meeting and we offered suggestions on how to get your cat to use the litter box. And people told her, you know, maybe you need to move the litter box to a different room because the cat's uncomfortable using the litter box in the bathroom. Maybe you need to get a squirt bottle. And, and after we spent a half hour learning about cat urine, Bob had a snowblower that wouldn't work. And again, in Mississippi, that's not a big deal. But Buffalo, New York, if your snowblower doesn't work, I guess it's a pretty big deal in an AA meeting, at least at this one it was. And guys told him to clean the points and check the fuel mixture and make sure this and make sure that. And I learned all about Aaron snowblowers and where to take one to get repaired and how to get my cat to use the litter box. But we didn't talk about alcoholism once. We got up and said the Lord's Prayer. And I left the meeting. And I'm in that shitty car. And I reach in my pocket. And I almost felt like it was a sign from some kind of higher power that I had $12 and my handle of vodka was $11.86. And I was headed to the liquor store. And I don't know why. But I called Glenn, my father, who now at this time has 20, I don't know, he, he got sober on my 18th birthday. So he would have had uh, 31 years sober at this, or no, 20, 30, 21 years sober at that time when I'm, that day I was getting sober. I call him up and I said, dad, I don't understand. I went to an AA meeting and we talked about cat piss and snowblowers. I explained what went on with the meeting and he said, son, that's not Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, that's a meeting for people that are too cheap to get a good therapist and they come to AA and keep their problems on the table. And, and that's not a real AA meeting. That's just some weird distortion. Came out of like a rehab or something. They tell people, you know, go share about your problems at AA. That's, that's not what we're here for. I didn't know that at the time, but my dad's telling me this. And he says, you know what? I'm going to text you a link to this speaker. I want you to listen to this speaker. And he sent me this guy, Chris R. from, from Texas. And, and I listened to this speech from Queens, New York, from like 1998. And I, I look at the thing. I'm like, this is this friggin' speech is 20 years old. What the hell is this going to do for me? You know what I mean? Like I'm content prior to investigation right there. But I put the tape on. And I'm telling you guys, for the first time in my life, Someone gave me an un undeniable case of alcoholism by talking about the phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession and by talking about the bedevilment and by talking about his struggles with alcoholism. And he told my story because he came in and out of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for seven years and didn't hear a message of hope from anybody and walked into bullshit cat piss snowblower meetings and couldn't get sober. And he finally got hooked up with a guy that, that was knowledge with facts about himself and knowledge with facts about the book and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the man took him through the steps at a rapid clip. And he had recovered from alcoholism and he had freedom. And at the time he was sober, like, I, I want to say 12 years on the speech or something like that. 
And for the first time, I knew that I was alcoholic because I understood what it was and not just that I drink too much and I piss people off, right? And I believed that there was a way I could get out of it for the first time in my life. And I didn't find that at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to reach out to a man that I couldn't stand, my father, for help. And he sent me a tape of a guy that I never knew or heard of. And I got the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I called my dad back. I said, that was amazing. I wish I could talk to that guy. He said, he's a friend of mine. Here's his phone number. Give him a call. And I called this guy up. He answered the phone. Chris, can I help you? And I said, Chris, my name, blah, blah, blah. He's like, listen, buddy, I'm at work. I'm going to punch out and I'll call you back. And I'm like, I get off the phone. I'm like, yeah, this guy doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't give a shit. Five minutes later, my phone rings and Chris talked to me for two hours. By the end of that conversation, he had me painted even deeper into a corner of alcoholism. And I knew I had alcoholism. And he told me that he wanted me to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this may be hard, but I want you to find a man that has a beat up big book that's talking about God and the steps and ask him to sponsor you. And I went to a meeting and I found Rob and Rob had a beat up big book. And he was talking about God in the steps. And I asked Rob to sponsor me. And Rob sat down with me. And if your sponsor says something different, that's your experience. I'm just sharing my experience. Rob sat down with me and we went over step one in our first meeting. And he said, my big book doesn't tell me I have to have someone write a step one inventory or do this or do that. As a matter of fact, right after how it works, we read it all the time. Three pertinent ideas. A, that we're alcoholic and cannot manage our own life. It's just a pertinent idea. Am I an alcoholic? Do I understand what that means? Do I agree that I have the phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession? B, probably no human power could relieve my alcoholism. And Rob started to talk to me about that. He's like, tell me, tell me different ways you've stopped, tried to stop drinking. And I gave him this endless litany of all these different threats from people and marking bottles and, and swearing I would only drink this and, and all that stuff that's on that one page. I can't remember the page number, but we tried all these different things and we could increase the list ad infinitum, right? I tried all those things. And he said, have you found a human power yet? I'm like, no. He's like, cool, let's talk about God. I'm like, whoa, 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 buddy. I'm like 24 hours sober. Stop. Like I just got here. And that's when he told me, Matt, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is about building a relationship with a higher power. It doesn't have to be my God. I believe in Jesus Christ. He goes, doesn't have to be my God at all. Doesn't have to be a Buddha or Allah. It doesn't even have to be God. It just has to be a power greater than yourself. And, and we got done talking. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. He's like, you know what? I'll come by your house tomorrow and we'll talk a little more about it. So the next day, Rob comes to my house and he walks in my house and I'm watching Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie. Obi-Wan Kenobi sitting in his little hut talking to Luke Skywalker about the force and Rob walks in right in the middle of that scene and he starts to talk and I'm like Shh, hold on this is my favorite part of the movie hold on and Obi-Wan's telling Luke that the force is this energy field that combines all living things and creates blah 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 whatever he says in that scene right and the scene gets done and I I'm like hey what's up Rob and he said do you like that idea I said what idea and he said the force I said, what do you mean? He goes, like a higher power, like the force, like a power greater than yourself. 
I'm like, it's a cool idea. He goes, why don't you use that as your higher power? I'm like, well, George Lucas made that shit up. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's a power greater than you. And I was, that, I'm like, that can't work. He goes, let's look at page 47. And he takes me to page 47 and he says, I believe this is the step two question. It, it says, once a man says he does believe or he's even willing to believe in a power greater than himself, we, the first 100 people that wrote this book, really 44, really one guy wrote the book, but whatever you want to say, right? We emphatically assure you you're on your way. It has been proven upon this simple cornerstone that a wonderful, effective spiritual art can be built, right? So he said, are you willing to believe that there might possibly be something out there greater than you that could help you? And I'm like, eh. And we talked. And he goes, do you believe that I'm sober today? I'm like, well, yeah, you told me part of your story. I can't believe you used to drink. I mean, the guy the guy got the day of his last drunk, he, he had had a vasectomy that day. And he ran out of vodka. And, and he got on his motorcycle and he was, his crotch was on fire. So he grabbed a bag of frozen peas and stuck them in his crotch on his motorcycle, driving the liquor store and gets a DWI on the way to the liquor store. He was my kind of drunk, right? He got arrested with peas in his crotch. That's my kind of drunk. I believe you're not drinking today. He goes, so are you willing to take a leap of faith that I'm just telling you that this God thing worked for me? And I'm like, I don't know about the God thing. He goes, all right, higher power. I'm like, fine, Rob, whatever, fine. He's like, cool, let's move on to step three. I'm two days sober. I've taken more steps than I've taken since I was 19 years old at two days sober. And we start to talk about step three. There's this guy, his name is Milt L. He, he can be found on XA Speakers. He does a thing called the dumb guy approach to Alcoholics Anonymous. And Milt L, DGA, if you, if you want it, if you want it, Text me, I'll get you a link to it. But he does the best step three stuff that I've ever heard. And Milt says this about the third step prayer. And I've said it in AA meetings and people are appalled because they, they well, Milt says this. He goes, if you read the third step prayer, it's a deal with God. And people are like, you can't make a deal with God. And Milt says, let's read the prayer. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. Take away my difficulties, relieve me of the bondage of self. Uh, so that victory over them will bear witness to those I'll help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. However it's worded, right? I wrote my own third step prayer because I don't like the old English stuff, but whatever. But the point is, is that it's, uh, thank you, Tim. <laughs> um, the point is that, that it's a deal with God. God, if you take away my difficulties, if you relieve me of the bondage of self, when, I, when you do that for me, I'm going to bear witness. I'm going to shout from the rooftops. I'm going to come on a Wednesday night to a meeting out of Mississippi and tell them that you did this for me. That's what the third step is. I'm telling God, you take away my difficulties. I'm going to go shout it from the rooftops. That's my deal, God, in the third step. And Rob and I talked about that. And we got down and did a third step prayer. And he read the next paragraph to me. And the next paragraph says, next we launched on a course of vigorous action. And, I, and, and I'm like, buddy, we're, we're moving kind of quick, aren't we? And he goes, buddy, you, you've been around AA for 21 years. Like, what do you mean quick? That This is a long time coming. You can't drink 
You can't stop drinking for any period of time without doing something different. And this is what we do. And my book, your book is saying the same thing. Next, we launched on a course of vigorous action. And he said to me, when you picture launched, what do you think of? And I'm like, well, Cape Canaveral, like, like the space shuttle taking off. He goes, it's like 17,500 miles per hour for that thing to leave Earth's gravity. He goes, that's moving pretty fast. And the words in the big book are important. And next we launch on a course of vigorous action means we're going to move through this work quickly. And you're going to start writing a list of people that you're pissed off at in for your fourth step. And we read up to the fourth step stuff and, and, and he's like, all right, now start writing a list. I'm like, yeah, your name's going on it first, you know, but, but, but I made this list of people I was mad at. Right. And this is the thing, guys, if you're newer, nearly newer, been around for a while. And I know I got 10 minutes left. I need to start moving. I'm sorry. Um, New or nearly new here, guys, people at AA meetings make it sound like the fourth step is a scary thing. And I'm here to tell you that that's false, all right? That's not true. Everything you're going to write in your fourth step, in your fear inventory, in your sex inventory, in your resentment inventory, it, you've already done it, and it's already been done to you. So if you're scaring people about the fourth step, stop. And if you're hearing people talking about, oh, my God, I'm so I'm in the middle of my four step. It's so hard. It's just the ego rebuilding itself and doesn't want to do the work. It's not that hard to make a list. It's write some things out. It's do the work. And I, I Rob gave me two weeks to do that. I did the, my four step, 168 resentments, a fear inventory, a sex inventory, two weeks. Rob and his sponsor, Whitey, and I sat down. We did a marathon six-hour fifth step. We went through all of it. Didn't leave anything out for the first time in my life. I was honest with two men after my fifth step. And I know some people like to tell their people, go home and read Drop the Rock and think about how you can work on your character defects. And, and, and maybe you need to go to the 12 and 12 and read step six and seven in the 12 and 12 because they don't believe that our book just told us a short time ago, further on our clear cut directions. And they think that they need to find something else because Bill must've got lazy after the fifth step and just said, gee, I'm gonna take a little break here and just write two short paragraphs about step six, seven. And, and you know, I'll let them figure it out down the road. I don't need to give them clear cut direction on this. But my big book says at the end of the, the, the time I spent with my sponsor, I go home and I get quiet for an hour. I meditate for an hour about the work I've done in the first five steps. Asking myself if I'm satisfied that I've done it to the best of my ability. And then it goes on to say about step six, when you are satisfied that you've not made mortar without sand, that you've, you've, you've done to the best of your ability these first five steps, I then look at step six and seven, right? If I'm unwilling to have a key character defect removed, I ask God for the willingness. And then it moves me right into the seven-step prayer. And this is the hook that I want to give you guys. If I had the ability to remove my own character defects, I don't need Alcoholics Anonymous or God. And I hear, I, I talked to a guy last week. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm working on my seven-step. I said, how long have you been doing that? Oh, eight months now. I said, you. How's that going? He goes, yeah, I can't seem to get rid of these character defects. No shit. Like, like no kidding, right? Because our big book doesn't say that we have to get rid of our character defects. As a matter of fact, 
If we go to the seven-step prayer, it says, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove every single defective character from me that stands in my way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. I don't get to choose what God takes away. And I think my foul language is a character defect. I truly do. But maybe God leaves that. Because when I sit down at Wegmans with him, and I'm talking about the steps, and I drop an F-bomb, he knows I'm not some tight butt, hoity-toity, holy roller, and I can get down and dirty. Or when I go to the Salvation Army and I talk to those guys, maybe God keeps that character defect that I think is there because God can use it, right? That's it, guys. After I do step five, that same night, I'm on step eight because I go home, I get quiet for the hour. Do I really want to hang on to these character defects? No, I don't. I say the prayer and I move on. The next day I call Rob. He's like, great, let's make a list. All the people you were resentful at that you hurt, the sex inventory people, let's make a list. Let's make a list in that sex inventory. It asks us, whom did we hurt? It's not just the woman I was sleeping with, but maybe her kids that were around or her parents. Let's make a list of people we hurt. And then my sponsor, and this isn't in the big book, he made me make index cards for each person so that when I went to do the amends, I didn't forget anything. And I went out and I had 212 amends to make in that first batch of inventory. And I'll tell you guys, I have one half of one amends. I've made 211 and a half amends at this point. And, and I still have some financial amends going on, but those are in the process. This last one, I, someone asked me to do something. I've been unable to do it thus far, but but that's not to brag. That's just that that I decided when I still had about 30 left, I said to myself, as I'm talking to sponsees, at what point did you decide that you didn't have to make those amends? At what point did you decide that you didn't have to follow all of the directions in the big book of alcoholics? And I made those amends. And I'm gonna close out talking about step 10, 11, and 12 real quick. I got about four minutes left. Um, you know, guys, my, my and, and I don't say this to, and, and my sponsee, Tim, can attest to this. I, I I do an inventory every night. Now, this week I missed two inventories in a row, and it was in my inventory on the third night. I had slept like five hours, two nights in a row. I just, I didn't do it. But I, I do a the nightly inventory as laid out in the 11th step in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, every night. And I text it to my sponsor and all the guys that I sponsor. And then a couple other guys that are like road dogs that I share my inventories with. I wake up in the morning and I do a meditation. And if meditation scares you folks, it scared the heck out of me when I first got here. And I encourage you to go on YouTube and Google guided meditation and start listening to one. And if you don't like it because you don't like their voice or the horn in the background or whatever, shut it off and try another one. Because that's what I did. And I finally found stuff that works for me. I have an Insight Timer app that I use now that I do different meditations on. Sometimes it's five minutes in the morning. Sometimes it's a half hour in the morning. It's just time for me to center and get quiet and, and, and just get connected to my power, right? My higher power. And then step 10, guys, is just, it's, it's, a, it's a daily, it's a, my, my, a friend of ours calls it, it's her purse. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because she always has her purse with her. It's her walking around step. It's my cell phone, right? I always have step 10 with me. It's my walking around step. I continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. When these crop up, because they're going to, right? I have specific, clear-cut directions on what to do when they crop up. And I'll tell you what, guys, since I've 
entered this this world of the spirit as it talks about in step 10 and 11 since i've entered this world of the spirit and i and i follow these as strict disciplines i think it's page 87 or 88 it says we are undisciplined so we let god discipline us in this way we've just outlined so i consider 10 and 11 strict disciplines in my life when i do these things i don't like i don't run into people i don't have arguments disagreements usually not too often my wife Liz and I, we got in a little tiff today about the dog sleeping on the bed. I can't stand it. It's her baby. We we got in a little thing about it today. Shit happens sometimes, but I, I pretty much glide through life free. And then step twelve, guys, if you've been around, if if you've taken the first eleven steps and you're not sponsoring people, and step twelve doesn't say go sponsor somebody, right? It says having had a spiritual awakening as the Result of these steps, we try to carry this message. What's the message? It's not a period after having had a spiritual awakening. It's a comma. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message. What's the message? I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. Would you like to learn how to do that? I would love to show you that. I know what the drinking game is about. I know what getting recovered is about. Let me show you how to do that. If you can't figure out how to stop drinking, come on board. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you. And then I'll teach you how to teach other people. That's what our job is in the 12th step. Go out and carry the message. And eventually, you're going to find somebody sick enough to ask you to sponsor them. <laughs> and, and it doesn't always work. Ask Tim. I've sponsored hundreds of men. He's seen brothers come and go. But I'm 100% successful because I haven't picked up a drink in over 10 years. That's all I got, folks. I hope I did well for you. Thank you very much. Have a great night. <clears throat> wow. Woo! Blew my hair back. Thank you very much, Matt. That was very powerful. You're going to stop the recording, Eric? Thank you 